We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're with us for the first time, this is an ongoing study uh, of our, excuse me, that was ABF. I just got through teaching ABF. 1 Timothy chapter 4, forgive me. I'm glad you caught that. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We did have a great time in 1 Peter chapter 4 in our ABF class, right? ABF participants, yeah. But uh, we have been looking at the, uh, the book of, of 1 Timothy for some time. The Apostle Paul wrote to this young pastor, relatively young pastor, and he was uh, leading the church at Ephesus, a church that had a pile of problems, as most churches do. And so we've walked through several different things, and it brought me to the place where I have been asking for the last couple of weeks, what is the greatest threat to the church? And I don't just mean the church in the world. I don't mean just the church in our culture in the United States. I mean to Heritage, Heritage Baptist Church. What is the greatest threat? And so in order to kind of answer that, I want to, I know we're in chapter 4, verses 6, through 8 today, but I want to back up to chapter 4, verse 1, and read to you and ask the question, what is the greatest threat? Is it some of the things that might be mentioned here by the Apostle Paul? Starting in verse 1, chapter 4, 1 Timothy, now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is, expressly says that in later times, I remind you that last week we defined later times as being the time from the Apostle Paul when he was writing this to today. Now, in 2 Timothy, he's going to say in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, and it kind of narrows it down. But all throughout the history of the church, here has been the situation, is this the greatest threat? In later times, some will depart from the faith, the faith. It's a picture of apostasy. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, not just false teachers, but the spirits that energize these teachers and preachers, devoting themselves to those deceitful spirits and to the doctrines of demons. Some of you might say, well, surely that must be the greatest threat to the church, heresy, apostasy, deceitful spirits preaching in our churches, the doctrines of demons. By the way, just so you'll know, and people have asked this before, do I believe that demonic activity is real today? As real as it was in the day of Jesus, the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. I I really believe that if you and I could put on spiritual 3D glasses, I know sometimes you go to a movie and you see a 3D movie and you put on the glasses and you see things that were blurred without the glasses, you put them on and you see them very clearly. If you and I could put on spiritual 3D glasses, I think we would be amazed at what we see right here in this room. Doctrines of 
demons, verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. This is talking about in the church. Our liars, our opponents, real today in your life and in the life of the church? Is that the greatest enemy? Political discussions, maybe consumerism in the church, persecution, tribulation, cultural deterioration. Are those the greatest threats to the church today? It goes on to describe some of these religious people who forbid marriage, verse 3, and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe, by believers, those who believe and know the truth. And so we've got two things working here, the faith and the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. What is the greatest threat to this church? Paul talks about it in the next verses. Timothy, as a leader, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine as opposed to the doctrine of demons. You see, there's only truth and lies. There's only sound doctrine and doctrine of demons. No middle ground. He says, you will be nourished or trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Train, rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And I'm just going to throw in for free verse 9, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Father, help us now as we work through this incredibly important passage. Help us to see all of us, because in, in, in some way each one of us is a leader here, and help us to understand what it means and the importance of the threat of having leadership that doesn't follow sound doctrine and it's not godly. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us now as we work through this. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you got my answer. What is the greatest threat to the church? Paul is talking primarily to church leaders, to elders. He did so early on. These two slides, we go back, we review. This was Paul talking before Timothy arrived to the church at Ephesus. He'd called for the elders, and he told them what was going to happen, almost a parallel of what he's talking about here. Pay careful attention to yourselves, leaders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Leaders are, leaders are primarily overseers, guardians, protectors of the flock. Okay? We care for the flock, but the first job of a good shepherd is not to pet the sheep, it's to guard the sheep. 
So Paul makes that clear. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. How are you going to do that? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from the outside. By the way, today they don't even have to come into the church. You can pick up your iPhone. You can listen to the latest podcast on, on whatever the, the heretic du jour is. I'm, I'm serious. I, I hear all kinds of people listening to all kinds of different things, and a lot of that is not sound doctrine. Now, if it's not the truth, what is it? It's a lie. And what's behind it? Doctrine of demons. By the way, again, uh, the spiritual 3D glasses, I believe that just like we are, we have, we have sound doctrine and we systematize that, don't we? For those of you who study the word systematic theology, don't think that demons don't organize and systematize too. They've got all of their doctrine laid out. They're not all wise, but they are wise enough. They are smart enough. They've been around enough a long, long time, and they can pick up particular things out of their demonic doctrine that will appeal to you. Well, not only that, coming from without, but from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things. What are these twisted things? They're lies. There's not truth and almost truth and lies. There's no neutral ground. These are twisted things, demons, demonic doctrine, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, all of you leaders in the church, what are you to do? Uh, okay, all of you leaders in the church. Who's a leader in the church? Okay, you may not be an elder or a deacon or an ABF teacher, but husbands, you are leaders of your wives. Moms, you're leaders of the kids. Young people, you have youngers, younger brothers and sisters, and you are every person in this room, in a sense, is a leader and needs to be, therefore, what? On the alert. Vitally important. Let's go through four things out of this passage of Scripture. You've got them there in your outline, and we're going to walk through these four things. A godly servant leader, that is my hope, that is my prayer for every one of you. Nobody, nobody gets away from my pointy finger today. Nobody. Every one of you leads. You need to be a godly servant leader. How can you serve? How can you be a godly servant leader? The first thing is this. You will continually remind others and specifically believers of God's truth. He says, if you, Timothy, Marty, leaders, Phil, Ed, others of you out there, Nathan, I, I, I'm pointing, if you put these things, what things? It's not just the things that we read in verses 1 through 5. It's everything that Paul has said. And he says this, if you do that, by the way, when you get to heaven, really, and if, if this is new for you, then you need, to, you need to write this down. This needs to be your goal. You're living for God's glory. And when you get to heaven, what do you want to hear Jesus say to you? You were a member of a Baptist church? 
you, you knew the, the first answer to the first question of the, of the catechism, the shorter catechism. You want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant leader. Well done. Now, none of this stuff is meant to guilt anybody. Because my guess is that if you're like I am, I went through this study last week and I thought, I look at some of the fruit from my life, and that's one way to check it, and I wonder sometimes, am I a good and godly servant leader? Well, I hear the Lord say, well done. One of the ways I can do that is by every Sunday, Sunday by Sunday, putting before you. This is a really key word. How do we develop faithful, godly servant leaders here at Heritage? And I'm talking about not only our teachers and our leaders who are appointed, but I am talking about husbands. And I'm talking about dads, and I'm talking about moms, and I'm talking about grandfathers, and I've said this before, but, but it has to be something that we understand. And Paul says this to Timothy, if you put these things before, and that's an interesting word, it doesn't just mean lay it before them, the word really means to undergird, it means to build a foundation. If you will take the truth Where are you going to find the truth? Sola Scriptura. Where is that? And if you will take the truth and if you will share that truth with those in your family and then work out in those concentric circles, those in your extended family, and then work out from that into your school, into your workplace, and then you work out in concentric circles from that into your other relationships of life, and here's what you're doing, and this is primarily for believers now. We're going to share what you do with non-believers in a minute, but with believers, you're laying, you're putting the truth not just in front of them, you're putting it under them to undergird them to build a foundation. And that's why almost as a bookend, I didn't read it, do you still have your Bible or your device open? Verse 11, command and teach these things. It's almost a bookend. So put it before them, Timothy. Undergird them. Give them these things and then command and teach these things, the truth. I shared this verse last week. Jude reminds us, beloved, I wanted to talk about our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's that being on the alert, contending for the faith, contending for the truth. So there is a body of truth, the words of faith, the words of sound doctrine. And do you know what it starts with? What if, look at, look at verse 9, where it says, we threw this in for free, remember a minute ago? This saying is trustworthy and full of, uh, deserving of full acceptance. Where, do you remember reading that or hearing that before in our study? Chapter 1. Chapter 1, where it says in verse 15, this saying is trustworthy and full of acceptance, I think, that Paul is going all the way back and reminding them of everything. He's building that foundation. 
And this is the starting point. Okay, men and women, young people, boys and girls, this is the starting point. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. I'm back in chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. It's all about the gospel. Does Paul want the church at Ephesus to be a church filled with, and I'm going to put in here, does, does Paul want, ultimately God, want the church at Heritage to be filled with godly servant leaders? Yes. How's that going to happen? It's not, listen, it's not going to happen unless you are gospeled people. And so, that's why in the big truth of today's message, if you look at it, it's in your worship guide, one of the great blessings of the church is godly servant leaders who will continually exhort and protect the flock with sound doctrine and who will live, the gospel, will live gospeled and godly lives. Here is what I've been trying to say since the day that I came. We, we're not trying to strap moral good works onto your life and send you out. It all goes back to the gospel. What we want is for you to be a gospeled man, a gospeled woman, a gospel teenager, a gospel child, so that out of being gospeled, you will live out a godly life. In the home, in your workplace, and at church, godly leaders are gospel leaders. They, listen, all my life I grew up seeing the gospel. Christ came into the world to save sinners. I saw the gospel as a front door kind of thing. It gets me into the door. I'm going to heaven, so now I live my whole life as a Christian trying to be good. And then some years back, I realized that the gospel is for every day. What is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? I asked this of a young man the other day. Here's what he said. And he grew up in this church. He said, well, it means to accept Jesus. Well, that's true as far as it goes. What do we accept? What do we accept? Here's the gospel. It is a trustworthy saying. We already saw that. Here's the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And it's the very first thing in terms of importance for us. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ, the God-man. God in flesh. And that's why last week I pointed out to you that there are some groups that we even accept as mainline who say they believe, and you have to ask, which Jesus do they believe in? It's not the second person of the Trinity because they deny the Trinity. I'm talking about the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and others. So it is Christ, the God-man, who died for sins, the substitutionary atonement in accordance 
with the truth, the Scriptures, sola scriptura, that he was buried. He really died. It wasn't a pretend thing. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, if our starting point is being good and, and it's about our changed life, we may never get to the gospel. We might, but we may never. Uh, it's been a while since I've shared this illustration, so if you've heard it before, my guess is you probably are okay with hearing it again, but this, this really happened way back years ago. When I was in seminary, I worked at a men's department store while I was going to school. I worked there. I worked in a number of different places. <clears throat> but that's one of the places I worked. And there was a young man there named Ted. So right off the bat, we were about the same age, and I wanted to share the gospel with him. And so I did as I was instru- had been instructed. I started with me. Instead of God creating him and him sinning against a holy God and all the, I started with me in my changed life. Well, here's what I used to be, and I filled in the blank, but here's what I am now. You know, used to be I, I, I didn't have purpose in life, but now I have found purpose. And he responded, wow, me too. My first thought was, I bet he's a believer, and I went on. Used to, I got involved in these kinds of things, but now I've put those aside, and I've gotten involved in other things that are a lot better. He said, wow, me too. And I went through two or three more things like that about my changed life, and finally, I thought the crowning blow, I'm going to bring it home. I'm going to share Christ with this guy who sounds like a Christian. He's matching me good work for good work, okay? Morality for morality. And I said, I found mine, all of these things through Jesus Christ. And he did not even bat an eye. He said, wow, I found mine through transcendental meditation. I, I, I was so blown away. I didn't know what to, I, I just kind of, I just kind of did this and walked away. I didn't even know what to say. Because we had the wrong starting point. When you talk about accepting the Lord, what exactly are you saying? So here's what, if you want to be a gospeled person, hey, students, do you want to be gospeled students? Do you? Okay, I see a few heads nodding. Okay, over here on this end. I told you I was going to do some pointing. Do you want to be a gospeled man, gospeled woman? Way back there on the back row, are your eyes open? Okay. They are, Jason. You get the point. Here's how you be a gospel person. You start with God. God created you to glorify Him. Oh, have you? No. Now, I'm doing the very, very short version because he, He created a list of things by which we can know that we can glorify and honor Him. They're called the Ten Commandments. Just click them off and see how you've done. Whoops. Not very well. So while we're created to glorify Him, we've done just the opposite. We've rebelled against Him. And we deserve just punishment in hell for an eternity. 
Well, that's bad news. But the good news is that God sent his son. He became a man in the person of Jesus who came to the earth, lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross for sinners like us. And that through repenting, turning away from sin, turning to God, and believing in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, we can come into a relationship with the living God and we can be gospeled people. We really were created to glorify God. That means we were created to be gospeled. Are you gospeled? Some of you may, that sounds weird. It's really right on target. But let me ask you this. Are you godly? Don't put the godly before the gospel because you can't do anything to earn salvation. But if you're gospeled, then that's going to carry with you every day, every day. And you're going to desire to grow in godliness because what is the chief end and purpose of man? Come on. To glorify God, you can't do that unless you're gospel. Now watch this. What's the second part of that? And enjoy Him forever. How do you enjoy God? By being like Him. Why was it, some of you have to go way back to remember this, why was it that when you first started dating your spouse, you enjoyed him or her so much? And I've heard some of your testimonies. Well, we just went out, heard some of your testimonies. We, we went out, we started talking. I couldn't believe how much we had in common. We just liked the same things. We enjoyed each other because we were like. Even in our, in our differences, we were, we were alike. I probably shouldn't say what I said in ABF class today. That when Jan and I met, We had something in common. She liked me and I liked me. And that's the way a lot of relationships start. But the reason we can enjoy somebody is because we become like them. Listen, people who are not godly, people who are not like God, really don't enjoy being with Him. So a godly servant leader and that's you, all of you, each of you, will continually remind believers of God's truth in that way. Second thing, a godly servant leader will nourish himself on and obey God's Word. Now, it says being trained on the words of the faith and the good doctrine which you have followed. That word, and train is going to show up again. This is interesting in translations. This is why it's helpful to go to a a tool like Blue Letter Bible and see, is that the same word that's used later where Paul says to train yourself, exercise? This is a different word. He talks about being trained. That word really means being nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine that you have followed. So you see what he's doing? He's a go- Timothy is a gospeled man. He is following the truth. And here is what he is doing. 
He is, listen to this, this is so key. He is nourishing himself on the sound doctrine, the word of truth. So this picture, when you see the word trained in the ESV, it's a picture of a kitchen. Later on, it's the picture of a gym. Okay? And it is vital that we are constantly nourished on the word of the gospel. Sola Scriptura. All of it and it only. Okay? The Word of God is the only thing that can give you spiritual truth, and that's why that you and I are to let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. Now, here is a little hint. Hey, guys, and all the way, I told you I was going to be doing the pointy thing. You, you cannot let the Word dwell richly in you if it's not in you. And you can't teach other people, remember you're building the, the foundation, you can't teach other people what you don't have. And just so you'll know, this, this sounds so trite, but it is so true. You hold in your hands the greatest book that has ever been written. There is nothing like this book. It is the very Word of God. And that's why we can bank on other promises like in 2 Peter. His divine power has granted to us everything that we need for life and godliness. And where is it found? In His precious promises, which is the Word of God. You see, the gospel is not just good advice, it's good news. Because it is built upon the sure foundation of the Word of God. So you can't teach what you don't know and you can't pass along what you're not following. And that's why, I, I said a minute ago, and, and, and you, you, bet, you, better un, you better understand this, the demonic world, I believe, is very systematic and constantly putting forth their doctrines, which are lies. And boy, they can hit close. The best lie is close to the truth. And so it's only as you are nourishing yourself. Are you listening to me? Nourishing yourself regularly, constantly on the Word of God. And that's why we put into our webpage where you can go and download the one-year Bible reading plan. I recommend that. Or the two-year Bible reading plan. Just make sure that you are consistently putting the Word of God into your life systematically. And I, I think I've got the best of both worlds because I get to dig each week dig for Sunday school lessons. I get to dig for, for, for preaching sermons. I get to dig, but I do not neglect my daily reading of the Word of God. I need it. I need it so I can let the Word of Christ dwell richly in me so I can follow Him on a daily basis. And you're going to be systematically attacked 
by demonic doctrine all around you or you're going to be systematically putting the Word of God inside of you. By the way, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. Where did Timothy get all of this? Wow, watch this. Three sources. This is, this is, this is in so instructive to us. Paul said, first of all, this is a home thing. This is a family thing. Timothy, it didn't start with me. It started with your grandma. Your nana. Put sound words of doctrine into your mom. And both of them put that into you. It started in the home. You guys know this. You cannot leave the spiritual education up to Kicker, and he's doing a great job teaching our young people. And, and you, you can't leave it with Sean and Billy and our children's ministry. Yes, they're doing a, we're, we're all trying to help and instruct. You can't just leave it for Sunday morning. It's got to be something that is in your home. And that may be a stretch. Again, I am not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to grow you. So he got it from home, and then Paul says the second source with him. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. And then the third source was Timothy himself. I, I think he just got into the Word. I think he read it. I think he read it pretty much every day, and then he used it to train himself for godliness. Now, what was he to do with that? What's a good leader supposed to do with that once you got that? He said, do this, lay it before other believers. What I want you to do, what you've heard from me, what you've gotten in your home, what you've trained yourself for in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So husbands, here's... Here's an assignment, and I know not all of you are husbands, but let's just start with that. Pick a study that this summer you can go over with your wife, not just a nice little devotional book. Pick something that, where you have to be reading the Word and talking about the Word together. Jan and I have already started looking for something that we can do this summer. So that we can go through that. We, we need to be doing that. Now, if you don't have that particular kind of relationship, do that with another person. You, you single men, get another guy. Single women, get another woman. Do that so that you can feed into each other. We got all upset during COVID over the shuttering of schools. S-H-U-T-T-E-R. They were shuttered. They were closed. Far greater is the shuttering of kids at home, spouses at home who never hear from the other, never have a discussion of the Word of God, spiritual things. Again, this is not meant, start where you are. This is not meant to guilt you. This is meant so that we can grow 
together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the ultimate reason. So that when we get the solid food, our discernment, our powers of discernment will be trained to do what? To discern between good and evil. And in this day and time, we need that. Okay? All right. Third thing, a godly servant leader will refuse cheap substitutes for the truth and will exercise himself for godliness. Give them truth and not trash. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Where are you going to hear probably most uh, irreverent, silly myths? What do you think? Where? Social media, would you, would you agree? Whenever you read, and I know, I know you're on social, I don't even know all of the things. Facebook, is that one? Twitter? I, I'm, I'm, not on, I'm not on these, so I, help me out now. Twitter, okay, is that one? Instagram. Uh, what else? TikTok. Are you sure there's something called TikTok? Okay, now, when you read those things, do you take them, do you even think about whether it's true or not? Are you getting solid food? Are you letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in you so that you, even young people, can have their, their, their powers of discernment trained to discern what's good and evil, what's true and what's false? Do you think you're getting some uh, irreverent, silly myths from that? Paul talks about it again, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Listen, irreverent babble, silly myths, is not benign. It is destructive. Paul says in his second letter that it's going to be like gangrene. It starts with a little cut and you don't do anything about it, or you try to, and it's the wrong thing, and pretty soon it gets infected. Is that the way gangrene works? And then it gets more infected, and then all of a sudden infection sets in, it becomes gangrene, and when gangrene has run its course, what do you do? I think you have to remove flesh. I, it, it, that, that's bad stuff. So it's important to have our senses trained. And they're going to be trained with one of two things. Okay. What's behind the irreverent, silly myths? Oh, come on. Doctrine of demons. It's not just stuff. It's not just people's lies. There is a demonic, systematic attack on believers. Listen, unbelievers are already his. They're already held captive by Satan to do his will. So he is attacking believers, and you're either going to listen to demonic doctrine or you're going to listen to, to lies. And if you start like, okay, like in buttoning your shirt, guess what? If you're in a hurry and you get the wrong button to start with, what's going to happen when you get up here? Or if you go down, what's going to happen? You're going to say, oh, man, I messed up. I didn't get that button right. You, you need to start with the right button. You need to start with the right thing. Now, according to Paul in, in this whole thing, it could be religious obstacles. It, 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 it says that the, the leaders, the irreligious leaders were putting 
things like you can't get married, you can't eat certain foods, so it could be religious obstacles. Come on, Baptists have done that for years. We, we, we point a finger at the Catholics. Well, that must mean the Catholics. But we have our own set of rules. In fact, every religious group has their own set of rules that make them acceptable before God. And usually the myths are going to be in the form of they'll attack God and His person, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, things like that. It's a lie. Or they're going to be attacking the nature of man. You know, man's really not a sinner. Forget that stuff about original sin. That's not true. Man's really good. Or they'll attack the doctrine of salvation. And those are all lies. And it can lead to sin in the church. And that's what Paul is trying to come against when he's speaking to young Timothy. Let's go to the fourth one. I, I had in my notes this, the greatest threat. Oh, this, this is a good thought. It really is. I almost passed over that. As far as heritage goes, I don't have any worry about the government. I'm going to use this word again, shuttering our church. I, I've heard people say that, you know, things are coming. It's, it's, it's going to get worse. These are dark days ahead. The government's going to close down the church. I don't fear that as much as I would fear, like in the churches at Revelation, Jesus shuttering the church because we fail to respond to the Word and become gospeled and godly people. I think that's important. Let's go to the last one. A godly servant leader sees value in self-discipline, particularly in godliness. Now, Paul says it's good to work out, okay? It's good to go to the gym. This training is a different word. It's the word from, guess what? Some of you know this, from which we get our word gymnasium, okay? It means to work out, to exercise diligently. And, and going back and studying a little bit about the Greek games, Paul used so many parallels with the Greek games and in terms of working out. And he said, okay, your health is important. It's not totally unimportant, but in terms of the whole scheme of things, godliness is so much more important than bodily discipline. And we are to train, we are to exercise, we are to discipline. If health is big business, letting the Word dwell in us richly and being led by the Holy Spirit so that we can be gospeled and godly people is even bigger business. So let me give you several things that we need to do and we need to see that this grows right out of the world of the Greek athletics. The first thing we need to do is to commit to our commission, okay? Paul says this, fight, let me go back one, I think it is. 
Fight the good fight of the faith. Now, in, in the Greek games, the race to which the runner committed was not for recreation. This is interesting. And it wasn't casual. This was competition. So there needed to be a commitment. In fact, if you go back to, to what the Greek games were like then, a person who was going to run in the race had to train for 10 months minimum before he was allowed to be able to run in that race. Not only that, it was lifelong training. Agonize. Self-control. All for one event. Now, in the world of running, it, it was in a stadium, and it was about 600 feet. Ten months. Can you imagine that? Ten months training for 600 feet of running. But Paul says something very, very important. He says only one person gets the prize. The picture he paints, well, Paul, the writer to Hebrews, here in, in, in the book of Hebrews, is that we're surrounded, just like the runner was surrounded by this huge crowd we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, one other thing let me encourage you to do as you run the race. Press on by forgetting what lies behind. That could be one of the most significant things that I say today. There are believers who in order to be gospeled in their life today and godly, they need to leave the past in the past. Not only the bad things that have happened, but also the things that you've accomplished. Paul says, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I'm pressing on for the mark, for the upward calling that God has given me in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last thing that he says is just keep your eyes on the finish line and on the prize. Here's what the Apostle Paul did when he got to the end of his life. And I know that there are some of you, you're not anywhere near the end of your life. Some of you are nearer to it. Some of you, you just don't know. But here's what Paul said when he got to the end. I have fought the good fight. In other words, I've agonized the good agony. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's keeping your eyes on the finish line. That's keeping your eyes on the prize, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have lo loved, longed for His appearing. So what's the greatest threat of the church? Not any of the things around us, not political enemies or the enemies that come against us. It's going to be the greatest enemy is the failure to commit to being gospeled and godly leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word to us. And I thank you for the reality of it. I pray 
that even as I shared the elements of the gospel earlier, that if there is anyone here today who's never received Christ, never accepted Christ, that they will go beyond that understanding and realize that there is a God who has created them to glorify Him by obeying His commands and that we have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned. But that you sent your son Jesus to die in the place of sinners, even the worst. Paul said, I'm at the front of the line. Lord, I know sometimes we feel like we could squeeze him out. But Lord, you sent your son to die for sinners like us. And through repentance and faith, turning away from the old life, turning away from playing God and fighting God, and turning by faith to Jesus and his finished work on the cross. We can be saved from our sins, saved and ushered in to the reality that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And out of that, Lord, I pray that we would live the reality of that gospel every day and that we would be gospeled and godly leaders. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer now. And may we seal it as we sing this song and leave this place so that we are followers and not just professors of the Lord that we say that we love and serve. And we pray these things in His name. Amen.